Jesus is the center of it all. But believe it. At the end of the day, do you really believe it? If you have your Bible, open it to Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1. We will be looking at verse 1 today. Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. We're uh, taking a break from uh, the gospel of Matthew in order to focus on a new sermon series. And it's called the Imago Dei. The Imago Dei. Which is a Latin translation of image of God. Both phrases refer to the fact that all humanity is created in the image and the likeness of God. Humanity isn't a product of an evolutionary process. All human beings are created by divine design on purpose with a purpose. You please get a mental hold of those two statements. Human beings are created by divine design on purpose with a purpose. We're not a product of an evolutionary process. All people, regardless of nationality, economic status, culture, lifestyle, gender, religion, mental health, ethnicity, or politics are created in the image of God. And that begins in in conception in the womb. From the womb to the grave, all people are the image of God. Not an image, but the image of God. Do you believe it? Do you believe it? One theologian states that the image extends to the whole person. While all creatures display traces of God, only human beings is the image of God. And in such totally in body and soul and all his faculties and powers and all conditions in all relations. The doctrine of the Imago Dei is beautiful. It's beautiful, it's wonderful, but not in and of itself. It's beautiful and wonderful because of God, because of who he is, because of what he does. Without him, there is no Imago Dei. Please know that. Without him, there is no image of God. We don't make ourselves into the image of God. We create it to be the image of God by God himself. Another theologian writes, our wisdom, and so much as it ought to be deemed true and solid wisdom, could consist almost entirely of two parts, knowledge of God and of ourselves. But as these two are connected together by many ties, it's not easy to determine which of the two proceeds and gives birth to the other. This theologian is correct, saints. Knowledge of God and knowledge of self are connected. Without knowledge of self, there is no knowledge of God. And without knowledge of God, there is no knowledge of self. This series on the Imago Day is going to give us knowledge of both. Knowledge of God and knowledge of self. We're going to begin with God. Note the title of the sermon. In the beginning, God. In the beginning, God. And here's my main point. Knowledge of God informs our knowledge of the image of God. A proper understanding of God helps you gain a proper understanding of the Imago Dei. So let's consider together who God is at the beginning. Look at look with me at verse 
1 of Genesis chapter 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Please pray with him for me. Holy Spirit, as we come to the very first verse in Scripture, I pray that you will be who you are, our counselor, the one who leads us into all truth, the one who helps us understand Scripture, the one who helps us understand what is is written in this book. We don't understand this book because of who we are, because we're smarter of our education or because we went to seminary. You give understanding of the scripture. If you don't, there is no understanding. So, Holy Spirit, third person within the Godhead, will you please continue to move in our service? Will you please take this preached word and apply it not just to our minds, but apply it to our very hearts for Christ's glory and for our good. And it's in Christ's name that I pray. Amen. The standard definition of, of an attribute is a quality or feature that's regarded as a characteristic of someone or something. An attribute is a description. It tells you something particular about a person place or thing for example what what are what are some attributes of a realistic new year's new year's resolution what are some you can participate what are some attributes of a realistic new year's resolution don't be shy what was that weight loss attainable anything else accountability Don't be shy. I know y'all like to talk. Kids, what are some attributes of a loving sibling? What are some attributes of a loving brother or sister? You see, all people have attributes. Kids, adults, teens, bosses, teachers, pastors, leaders. And the same is true of God. He has attributes. The late poet, the late poet Maya Angelou says, when someone shows you who they are, believe them the first time. This is what God does with his attributes. He's showing us who he is the first time. He reveals himself to us. He shows us the qualities and features and characteristics that describe him as God. His attribute shows us who he is and we can believe him the first time. Genesis 1-1 says, in the beginning, God. That is our starting place, saints. We begin with God. We begin with his attributes. And remember, knowledge of God informs our knowledge of the Imago Day. And he has two types of attributes. The first uh, are known as his incommunicable attributes. These are attributes that belong to God alone. They're exclusively and absolutely unique to him. He doesn't share these with people. Doesn't share these with you. They're not part of the Imago Day. These attributes. Because here's, here's the thing, saints. God has things that are true about him that'll never be true about you. And that's an amen statement. Okay. God has things that are true that would never be true about y'all. God is eternal. No beginning. No end. Not created. He has always existed. 
there's God. Revelation 1.8 says, I'm the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. He is eternal. And he's also infinite. Do you know what that means? He has no limits. He has no restrictions. He's not bound by time and space and people. Think about that. We, we, we're finite people. We have no idea of what it means to be infinite. We can't even comprehend that. But that's who our God is. He's not restricted by like we are. Psalm 147.5 says, Great is our God, abundant in power, and his understanding is beyond measure. Do you believe that? Our God is immutable. What does that mean? It means he's unchangeable in his nature, character, purposes, and promises. Think about that unchangeable in his very nature, in his character. He's not wishy-washy. He's not sometiming. He's always consistent in who he is 100% of the time. Again, but do we believe that? Or have we reduced God too far down to our level? James 1.17 says, Every good and perfect gift is from above. Coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. That is our God. Next, our God is self-sufficient and self-existent. That means he's not dependent upon anyone or anything outside of himself. See, we're not those things. We are dependent upon everything to, 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 to survive. We need water. We need food. We need shelter. We're not self-sufficient. We're not self-existent. But God is. Again, can't, we can't even comprehend a, a, a being like that. That he's, he doesn't need anything to exist. No. He doesn't need anything. He's not dependent on our tribes, our nations, our governments, our movements, our activisms, and our, nor our political parties. He doesn't need any of that to survive. Why? Because he's God. He's God. Acts 17, 24 and 25 says, The God who made the world and everything in it, being the God of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything. Since he himself gives mankind life, Breath and everything. And that includes people who don't know him. This is our God. Self-sufficient. Self-existent. Do we believe it? If you are a Christian, if you have saving faith in Jesus, if you have come to Christ and confessed your sins to him and received him as Lord and Savior, and if you have been made right by him, then you have a God who is really, really big. I mean, really big. And each of you should be in awe and reverence right now because of who he is. Are we ever in awe of who our God is? Because sometimes we read the scripture and again, we reduce him to our level. And we lose reverence and awe of him when we do so. He is self-existent, self-sufficient, 
unchangeable, infinite, and eternal. There is no God like our God. And there's more. There's more attributes here. Your very, very big God is also sovereign. That means everything and everyone in this universe is under his complete control, rule, and authority. Everybody. You don't know him. Even those who are in rebellion against him still function under his sovereignty. Because if they didn't, there would be someone, something that exists that he doesn't have control over. All of us are under it. Even the atheist who does not believe in God under his sovereignty. Every nation, every kingdom, every government is under our God's power. Do we believe that? Do we really believe that? He's the boss, kids. That's the point. What does God's sovereignty mean? It means he's your boss. He's your boss. He's your daddy. He's in charge. You're not. Isaiah 14, 24 says, the Lord of hosts has sworn. Has he not planned? So shall it be. And has he not purposed? So it shall stand. And Psalm 103, 19 says, the Lord has established his throne in the heavens and his kingdom rules over all. And in the Hebrew, that means all. It means all. The Latin prefix omni, O-M-I-N, is a combining phrase that's used to form compound words. It means all. Take the word omnicompetent. It means the ability to judge and deal with all matters. This prefix is also attached to three of God's incommunicable attributes. He's omnipotent, all-powerful. He's omniscient, all-knowing. He's omnipresent. He's everywhere in all places at the same time. Again, do you believe that? Our God is a big, big God, bigger than we can think and or imagine. He has attributes that, that we would never have. But now he does have some that he does share with us. These are known as his communicable attributes, the second type. People possess these attributes imperfectly. They'll never be perfect. They are reflected in all image bearers of God. This is true for Christians and even non-Christians. The late theologian Lewis Burkhoff has three categories for these attributes. He calls them intellectual attributes, moral attributes, and volitional attributes, which means to relate to one's will. Now, I'm not going to define all of these for the sake of time, but I am going to list them. So his intellectual attributes are his knowledge and wisdom. Like human beings, we have knowledge, we have wisdom, but though it's, per, it's imperfect. His moral attributes are good, his goodness, his love, his mercy, his grace, his long suffering, his justice, his faithfulness, his holiness and righteousness. Like we share those things, but it's imperfect in us. But in him, it's all perfect. And his volitional attributes are his will and power. Again, we have we have a will. We make decisions. And we also have are in positions of power, some of us. Again, we are imperfect in those things, but he is not. So this is what I want you to keep in mind. His communicable attributes are reflected in you imperfectly. And his incommunicable attributes are not reflected in you at all. And so if you're praying that he'll make you infinite, he ain't going to answer that prayer. Okay? He's not going to answer that prayer. Because it belongs to him alone. 
who is God in relation to his creation? In relation to the universe, in relation to image barriers, in relation to y'all. If God is so big, then how does he relate to us who are so small? Have you ever asked yourself those questions? Kids, have you ever thought about this big God? How can we even know him? There are three attributes I'm going to discuss that provide answers to those questions. And you all have to decide for yourself if you're going to believe them. First, God is transcendent. Our God is transcendent. It means he is separate from his creation, not dependent upon it for anything. God is beyond human experience. He's on a whole different level than us. Okay? Whole different level than us. Higher than us. He's more exalted than us. As he said in Isaiah 55, my thoughts are completely different from yours says the Lord. And my ways are far beyond anything you can imagine. For just as, as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than yours and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. Our God is holy other, but not to the point where he's just a clockmaker who doesn't intervene in his own creation. Picture for a moment that God's transcendence is one side of a penny. A penny. Picture that in your mind. A penny. On one side of that penny is God's transcendence. And on the other side of that penny is an equally important attribute. And that is his eminence. That means God is near to us. He reveals himself to us. It means our God is fully present within the universe that he created. And as one theologian said, God is covenantally present. He's not detached from his creation. He's personally and relationally involved with it. Psalm 145, 18 says, the Lord is near to all who call upon him, who call, who call upon him in truth. Acts 17, verse 26 and 27 says, and God made from one man every nation of mankind to live on the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and boundaries for the dwelling places, that they should seek him, perhaps feel their way towards him and find him. Yet he is actually not far from each of us. God is imminent. You see, God's transcendence and his imminence must always be viewed together. Always together. Focusing on one with the exclusion of the other would give you an unbiblical, one-sided view of who God is. Please know that. His transcendence helps us from helps us not to domesticate God because that's what we do. Make him our lab puppy. He is not our um, sheep. His transcendence helps us from reducing him too far down to our level where he's not different than us. And yet his transcendence helps us not to place God in this ivory tower that he never comes down from. It helps us. To, to, to not see our God so far off that we can't reach him and, we, and he can't be known by us. Remember the penny saints. He's holy other than us, but he's also close to us as well. He's both at the same time. He's transcendent and he's imminent. He's far off and he's close. But do you believe it? Do you believe it?
Not just for the adults, we're talking to the kids, youth too. Do y'all believe it? If any of you go into my office right now, you will see bookshelves filled with books and commentaries. Theology books, Christian living books, leadership books, and commentaries on books of the Bible. Now, I haven't read all the books, but they're in there. And many of these books, they attempt to answer the questions I just mentioned. Who is God? Who is God in relation to his creation, in relation to the universe, in relation to image bearers? The books in my office are are, are good books that sound theologically, but they have limitations. In fact, all good theology books have limitations. All sound Christian living books have limitations. All biblical confessions of faith have limitations. Do you know why they have limitations? It's because of this third attribute that I want to talk about. Our God is incomprehensible. If you think for one moment that your theology has figured God completely out, then you're wrong. That is pride. He is incomprehensible. You see, our God has revealed himself to us. That's true. He allows us to know him. Please know that. We didn't we didn't go searching for God like we're going searching for treasure. We didn't go digging through the grave look, cave looking for him. He reveals himself to us. He allows us to be reconciled to him through faith in Jesus Christ. This is something that as American Christians we need to understand because we're self-sufficient people. We are Americans. I said this once before. You need to understand Christianity is a welfare system. Okay? And if you don't want to be on welfare, you'll never get into heaven. Because God did everything that you couldn't do. You ain't ever going to be good enough. Because if you were, why did Christ have to come? Okay? We are allowed to be in a reconciled relationship with God through faith because of God. And that's good and that's wonderful. But here's an important theological fact that you need to wrap your mind around. Infinite creatures like us can never fully comprehend and understand a God who's infinite. Please, please understand that. I don't care how right your theology is. I don't care what famous pastors you follow. You would never, ever be able to fully comprehend our infinite God. You couldn't handle it. What did God tell Moses? If you see my face, you're going to die, bro. You can't handle all this glory. Can't handle it. And so if you're here and you wonder who is God, this is who God is. He allows us to know him. Again, humanity, we are created creatures. We are always dependent on something for our existence. You're either going to depend upon God or you're going to foolishly just depend upon yourself, your money, your education, your stuff. But here's the point. When you die, none of that goes with you. Somebody else is going to reap the benefits of your hard labor. You can gain the whole world in the end forfeit your very soul. Because one day, we're all going to die. And what matters is, do you know Jesus at the end of the day? Because none of that stuff is going with you. Some of the other people, your kids or your grandkids, going to live it up because of you. 
RC's, the late R.C. Sproul says, the finite cannot contain the infinite. Human beings are finite creatures. So minds always work and, 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 and from a finite perspective. We live and move and have our being on a finite plane. But God lives and moves and has his being in the infinite. That means you will never be able to know and fully understand God on this side of heaven. But yet, he condescends to us, to you. He condescends to you so that you can know him. Please know that. that is, this is God's doing. It's his, he, he steps down to make a way for finite creatures like us to know him who is infinite. That's what he has done. Again, who is a God like our God? There's no God like our God. Do we believe that? It's the funniest thing about American Christians. We expect a pagan country like ours to believe what what we don't believe about our God. And they don't even have the Holy Spirit. We have to believe it for ourselves. But do you? The incomprehensible God can still be known personally. Praise the Lord. Praise him. My daughter and I baked a, sorry, Mass, I didn't get your permission for this, but my daughter and I baked a cake for for Christmas. And baking is one of the activities that we enjoy doing together. And we baked this cake from scratch, which is very different from baking from a, a cake box from Kroger. So we had a recipe to follow, a recipe to follow with individual ingredients, dry ingredients, liquid ingredients. So measuring cups and spoons were needed to ensure that we used the right amount of, of each ingredients in the cake. Now, the recipe didn't require the same amount of ingredients. They didn't require the same amount. So we didn't use the same amount of flour and butter. It was different amounts. The amount for each varied. Now, picture for a moment that God's attributes are like these ingredients. How much of each ingredient does God have? How much does he have of each attribute? Is he a half cup self-sufficient? One teaspoon of love? One teaspoon of justice? No. Our God has all the ingredients to the max. He's 100% in all of his attributes at the same time. This is what theologians call the simplicity of God. It means your God is without parts. He's not composed of different ingredients and attributes. He are, he is these attributes. There's a difference. The being of God is identical to every attribute of God. That's what it means for him to be simple. His omniscience, his goodness and his justice and his truth and his grace and his eternity are all identical to who he is. He is these things. All at the same time. Again, we can't even wrap our minds around that. The essence of God and the existence of God are one and the same. Our God is truly awesome. But do y'all believe it? Do you stand in awe of who he is? Do you worship him as the transcendent, imminent, incomprehensible God? 
He is most beautiful. He is most wonderful. Do you approach him as that? We have saints where no other group of people in the world has. We have the one true living God. And yet from day to day, we doubt if he's going to move for us. And yet we forget who he is. And yet we doubt if he was going to help us through this next struggle. Saints, he's able because of who he is. And you don't have to beg him to do it. Because he's faithful all on his own. You have to believe that, saints. In Genesis 1-1, the Hebrew term used for God is Elohim. Elohim. And if you know anything about Hebrew, you know Elohim is the plural form of Eloah. Now, does that mean ancient Israel and Christianity believes in polytheism, which is the belief in more than one God? No. Our faith is a monotheism faith. We believe in the one true God who is one, not many. The Shorter Catechism, question five, asks, are there more than one God? There is, but only one, the true and living God. And that is the God of the Holy Bible. He is the one and only true God. And he doesn't need people to validate that. Because if he did, he wouldn't be God. He wouldn't be God. Why does Moses use this plural Hebrew plural noun, Elohim. What are your thoughts? I read a devotional on Ligonier.com Ministries website, and it says, Elohim describes the depth of the riches of God's being. This use, the plural of intensity, emphasizes his transcendence and his authorship of the world's diversity. Elohim, as the plural of majesty, majesty highlights God's oneness. In the theological workbook of the Old Testament, I love what it says, it says the term Elohim conveys both the unity of one God and yet allowing the plurality of persons. Do you know what that means? It means our God is Trinitarian. Three distinct persons existing in perfect harmony and union within the one Godhead. We, as Christians, we believe in the, in the doctrine of the Trinity. One God and three persons. The larger catechism question nine says, how many persons are there in the Godhead? There are three persons in the Godhead, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And these three are one true eternal God, the same in substance, equal in power and glory, and although distinguished by their personal properties. The Trinity is a mystery, but it's true. And do you believe it? Do you believe it? This is who your God is. And if you don't understand who God is, there's no way you can really understand who you are in relation to him. Do you believe these things? Our God is infinite. Our God is personal. Our God is triune. And finally, our God is creator. Do you see what, what, what the sermon has done for you? God is these things before he creates the universe. He doesn't become these things at creation. He's these things before he created. Because before there was anything, our Trinitarian God existed in perfect union within the Godhead. 
They were satisfied within themselves. But then he decided to create. Genesis 1, 1 says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The Hebrew term translated create is barah. And this term, this particular form of this verb always refers to divine activity. It's used to show that God took the initiative to create. He took the initiative to bring into existence something that never existed before. The heavens and the earth. He created them out of nothing without pre-existing material. And that is important. These are all amen statements, saints. Okay. Y'all should know better by now. Genesis 1-1 is all about absolute creation. The beginning of all things. Space, time, and matter. It's in that one verse. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Do you believe the God of the Bible is the creator of the universe and all things? Do you believe that? You see, the universe did not come into an existence by accident. Through a bang. It was not created. It, it was created on purpose by divine design. It was. Do you think it's an accident that planet Earth is the third planet from the sun? Is that an accident? If we want, if we're closer to the sun, what's going to happen to us? We're going to burn to death. If we we're falling for the sun, what's going to happen to us? We're going to freeze to death. Either that's an accident or God did that on purpose in order to sustain life. It takes more faith to believe in other things than it does this, saints. Creation reveals God as a divine artist who enjoys what he has created. But do you believe that? Even though as we get to later on in Genesis, even though we're going to fall from grace, it does not, still does not mean that God does not enjoy his creation. He still does. He still does. In the beginning, our God is a spirit, and in and of himself, infinite in his being, glory, blessedness, and perfection, all-sufficient, eternal, unchangeable, incomprehensible, everywhere present, almighty, knowing all things, most wise, most holy, most just, most merciful, most gracious, long-suffering, abundant in goodness and truth. That is your God. And I pray that you will carry that with you as you navigate life this week. Let us pray. Father, you are who you are because of who you are. And it is what it is. You don't need us to validate your existence. You don't need us to do that. Because you're God. And I pray for those of us who know you by faith here that you will, the Holy Spirit will help us to recall who you are this week. And we will meditate on your attributes. We will meditate on who you are. And I pray for those who are here who may not know you. The Holy Spirit, you will work in their hearts. You will call them to faith in Christ. And I pray for all of this in his name. And amen. Will you please stand as we close?